welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. Continue, we ser continue our series through the gospel of Matthew in a series I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. We've been talking about, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a while, and, and we're almost done this week and next week. Uh, we'll finish the Sermon on the Mount. And we're talking about the fact that Jesus is king, right? Would we, would we acknowledge the Bible teaches us that Jesus is king? King of kings, Lord of lords, he's the boss, he's in charge, no one above him. And so, and so you know, that the whole world ultimately is his. We don't see his kingdom actually um, uh, being played out in the world around us right now. That's going to come later when he comes back the next time. But ultimately, he is the king. And if we're his people, then ultimately, in, in addition to be children of God, we are also subjects of the king. And so Jesus is king. He's the boss. And so if the world ultimately is his kingdom, then we should live as if he is king right now. And, and, the, and the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount describe to us how someone in the kingdom of Christ should live. And so we've been describing first the attitudes, the Beatitudes, the attitudes of a, a person who's living in the Christ's kingdom. And then we moved into the rest where we see these principles being played out. There's going to be, a, I think it's end up being 19 of these principles that describe the principles of someone that's living in the kingdom. And we all do this. We all do this now. We have principles, right? Hopefully, you know, unprincipled people are not fun to be around, right? Do we acknowledge that? So everybody has principles. The question is, what are your principles? What do you, what do you base your life upon? What are, the, what are the truths that define and control and direct your life? Unprincipled people don't have those. They just do whatever feels good or right or whatever. I suppose that is a principle. Anyways, let's not get into that. The fact of the matter is that we have principles. And if we're going to live in Christ's kingdom, then we should live according to his principles, right? Does that make sense? That if we're going to live in Christ's kingdom, we are in Christ's kingdom, that, that while we don't see it in the world around us, it is in our heart. And so if Christ's kingdom is in our heart, which the Bible says it is, then we should live according to these principles. And if we do, there's a reason why we do. And we'll get into some of that today. So before we get into that, let's pray, and then we'll talk about, about this text. Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you for this time and this, the, the privilege that we have to be able to gather together to sit at your feet and hear what you would say. And so I, I offer myself up to you right now, Lord, and I, I humbly recognize that I'm not, I'm not, I am not worthy of the, 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 this privilege that you've given me to stand up here. And, I'm, and, I, and I often recognize that I am not, not as equipped that I, as I would like to be, but I, I recognize if I'll just let myself, I'll let you, God, I'll let the Holy Spirit do what he says, that he can do pretty radical things even through someone like me. And so I give this time to you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege I have of being able to do this. And I lift up your people right now, those that are hearing, those that are here right now, those that are watching online. I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would, Speak to them about what you would say to your church and how we might be able to live in a way that is, that is right and good so that we might see the good that you have for us and that the world might see the good that you have for them as well. And so I ask, Lord, for your special touch upon this time, and we pray it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of quick little announcements I forgot. Um, first off, it's Andy and Laura's 46th anniversary. Turn around to the camera. They can't see you, but do it anyways and say happy anniversary. Uh, they could see me. You can see me. Hi, I'm waving. They're all waving too. They all love you. Um, also, there are eggs in the back. So 
Five dozen, okay. Does that mean, so get some eggs. So our chickens are happy chickens. Anyways, okay. This morning, we're going to begin with a verse that uh, describes a concept that is commonly refer referred to as the golden rule. Anybody heard that? It's actually, it's interesting. The golden rule is not exclusively found in Christianity. It's found elsewhere as well. But the golden rule is a biblical concept. It was going to get into saying, you know, it's, we're the only ones to do it right. Well, well, that's another whole other conversation. We're not doing that today. But, but the fact of the matter is it is a Christian concept. And let's read where it comes from, and then we'll talk about it. Because as with many of these principles, most of us know them. But we often don't really understand them the way that we should. And we've been so programmed by life and society and all of that that we, that we often miss really the deeper things of this. I, I was sharing with somebody earlier, you know, I'm, I'm taking a Greek grammar class right now. You know, and the main thing I'm having to do right now is unlearn everything I know about Greek, because everything I know about, not everything, but a lot of what I know about Greek is not correct. And we do that with English, too. We do that with whatever, whatever our language is. We often have been learned things, but that aren't really always right. And so these principles, sometimes we, we miss them. Let's pick it up, very first one. Verse 12 of Matthew 7 says this, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We also find this described to us in the Gospel of Luke. So the idea is, if you want someone to do something nice to you, you should do something nice to them. I'll, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. Or I'll do this for you so that you'll do that for me. And, you know, if you, if you, you know, you, I'll, sh you know, if I want you to show me favor, I will show you favor first. If I want you to be generous with me, I will be generous to you first. That's the kind of the, 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 the common understanding of the golden rule. And while it, it's, it's, it's right to think that if I want somebody to be nice to me, I'm going to be nice to them. If I want somebody to be courteous to me, I'm going to be courteous to them. It's a very shallow understanding of what this is saying to us. The king, these kingdom principles that we're learning are how we are to, as Christians, to live while we're in this world. Because God is good, right? Somebody say God is good. God is good when? Always. always. He's always good. And that everything he does is good, then these principles are good. In fact, they are the only good. Any other principle that is not lined up with these principles can't be good if it didn't come from God. If it doesn't come from God, then it's lacking that, that goodness. Even the very best person on earth is not good enough to develop a principle that is good as God's principles. And so it's something less than good. We shouldn't be living the golden rule so that it benefits us. And that's a very common interpretation. I'm gonna do this to you so that you will do this to me. It's a very selfish, self-centered motivation for living out the golden rule. It's much better to desire that people would live like Jesus so they'll experience the good that Jesus promises them and in turn will treat you like Jesus. So, because I desire that, I'm gonna live like Jesus and treat them like Jesus in the hopes that they meet Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? Did I, did I complicate that as much as possible? The reality is that we, we've got to understand our motivation can't be what I'm going to get out of it. If that's our motivation, that's a wrong motivation. It's selfish. And it's very natural, right? 
I mean, won't you admit that that's very natural? Matter of fact, I'm guessing if we did a survey before we did this, that would be, that would be the common understanding of the golden rule is I'm going to do this to you so that you will do something beneficial to me. I would much rather, personally, have you live like Jesus. Do you know why? Because that's good. And the result is that you're going to do good, including to me. But I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it because it is the right thing to do. Now, the reality is that's not very easy. That's hard. That's hard to live like that. It's hard to live like Jesus in a world that has no desire for Jesus, but I'm living that way so that they can meet Jesus in the hopes that they might treat me like Jesus would treat me. But they may not. And this next principle helps us to see that. Principle number 16. The right way is not the easy way. Anybody want it to be easy in life? Raise your hand. I know you do. We all do. We all want it to be easy. And even if you're, I know, come on, Larry. You're supposed to be helping me out up here. I know you want it to be easy. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. On the broad way, life is easy. The way most of the world is going, it is the easy way. There are few limitations and restrictions. If you feel it, do it. If you want it, do it. If you, if, if you think it'll make you happy, do it. And it, and it, and it, it just, it just there's, no, there's no fences, there's no boundaries, there's no limitations. Just, just you know, if, it, if, it, if you think it's right, do it. You know, feelings and, and, and opinions and, 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 and different ways of viewing things that's what you use to navigate your way through life. And no one's opinion has more value than yours. In fact, everyone's opinion has less value than yours. And rarely will you allow somebody else to have an opinion higher than yours without great disagreement with them. The Broadway makes no demands. The, the, the way that the world is going makes no demands on the individual. No demands on thoughts, no demands on behaviors, no, 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 no demands on integrity, no demands on, on any of those things. And, and, and you know, the, our behaviors and our thoughts, you know, all these, and, and we're encouraged, they are encouraged to explore their perception of reality. Whatever your perception of reality is, okay, go, go that way. Unfortunately, there are few warning signs that will tell you how that life ends, where it takes you. Jesus says here that that way leads to destruction. Now, the ultimate understanding of that idea of destruction is hell. That's the ultimate understanding of it. But there is a more temporal understanding of it as well, is that pathway leads to destruction in this life. It will always lead to something being destroyed either relationships or reputations or health or, gosh, you just go through the list of things that people are chasing after. If you follow the, the broad way, the easy way, something is going to suffer for it because that's how that works. That's how, that, that, yes, that is the way that those things work. And the warnings that do come are often treated like mo most traffic signs are in our culture. Stop signs. Cracks me up. People blowing through stop signs like they don't even exist. That's one of my pet peeves, in case you're wondering. Do you know what stop sign means? Stop! What does stop mean? Come to a complete, you know, a, a cease all forward motion. That's according to the law. Cease all forward motion. That seems so simple to me. Okay, it's a pet peeve. I just aired it out for everybody in the world to see it. 
We have a choice in all of these things. Obey or disobey. And really, ultimately, it all comes down to that. Either you're going to obey God or you're going to disobey God. There are no other options. There are no other choices. Can you, can you not obey God and not disobey him? No, you can't. It's, you know, you know, there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. You're either obeying God or you're disobeying God. It's as simple as that. No, no, I, I want it a different way. Okay, <laughs> you can want all you want, but it doesn't make any difference. It still doesn't change the reality. Either you're obeying God or you're not obeying God. If you're not obeying God, you're disobeying God. And in case you're wondering, if God is God, right? If he is God, he doesn't like to be disobeyed. There's a consequences attached to it especially when he takes so much time warning us about the consequences. So much the Bible just says, here, here, I want to give you this. I want to give you blessings. But if you don't want the blessings, you know, the, that come only through obedience, then okay, then understand, there are curses attached to disobedience. You get to choose. Deuteronomy says that. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. Two choices, life or death. Blessing or cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may, that you may love the Lord your God, and you can only love God through obedience, that you may obey his voice and you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. You have to choose. Choose life, God says. And there's, it comes in a couple of different places. Choose life, God says. He wants you to choose what is good and right and, and helpful and beneficial. It leads to life, leads to flourishing. But he gives you the freedom. Here we are on, on, on Independence Day weekend. You know, we, we're, we're celebrating freedom. I don't know if that's what we're actually celebrating anymore. But, you know, God has given us freedom. Given us freedom to choose him or not. But he says, hey, here's the blessing if you obey me. But understand, if you don't, there's a consequence. Everything Jesus said in this sermon is the narrow gate, is that narrow way. He's saying that there is a way that is good and right, and here it is. It's a narrow way. It's not wide. And the idea of narrow is literally, like if we have this aisle here, if you shrink this aisle down so you, you can, only you could pass through it, that's what it would be like. It's kind of like, yeah, I was hearing, you know, that, that the airlines are making seats, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're making the seats narrower and putting them closer together to squeeze more people onto an airplane. Okay, they were already too crowded for me. That's, that's what it is, this narrow way. And to live according to these principles is not as easy as the easy way. That makes sense, right? <laughs> the, the narrow way is harder. The narrow way demands faith. It demands discipline. It demands integrity. And, and not the integrity the world describes, not the discipline the world describes, not the faith the world describes, but those things that God describes, that Jesus describes right here in this sermon. He says, this is the way. The Broadway doesn't. The Broadway makes few demands upon us. Just live and let live. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And ultimately, the, 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 you know, we get on one path or the other, and, and the, the, the narrow way, that, you know, the narrow gate is salvation. We get saved. We get on the narrow path. And we might like to think once we're saved, then the path gets wider and easier, right? Nope. Doesn't. In fact, it gets more difficult. The longer you're on the narrow path, the narrower it becomes. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a Christ follower is promised an easy life, not in this life. Well, then why do it? Why bother? We're not going to have fun. We're not going to enjoy ourselves. If it's not going to be easy, if I'm not going to get rich and famous, why even bother? Well, first... The alternative 
is destruction forever. Anybody want to sign up for that? No, nobody wants to sign up for that. Nobody wants eternal separation from God in a place of darkness and fire and pain and suffering. If you do, then you need to see Randy because you need therapy. <laughs> Second, this life is not all there is. That we, we, we understand through faith, we understand that there is another life after this one, a life of perfection and fulfillment and completeness and glory. Indescribable, those things are. And third, our walking the narrow path is the only way others are going to see Jesus. They're going to see Jesus because we are on the narrow path. We are walking that narrow path. We are, we are walking in holiness and righteousness and goodness and obedience and truth. We are doing that, and because we're doing that, other people see Jesus in us. Christian life is not, is never easy. If it is, you're, you might be doing it wrong. But it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be hard. There are times, God gives us times of refreshing and peace and rest. That's a, that's a part, you know, ebb and flow. Sometimes we experience hardship. Sometimes we hear we're, we're struggling along the pathway that God has set before us. Other times we're just kind of cruising along, loving, loving Jesus, loving life. Another way to interpret this difficult is the way is the way is narrowed. And the idea is that it begins narrow and then it narrows. It becomes more narrow over time. And, and, the, and the reality of that, as I embrace the truth is, truths of God, as I, as I grow in my faith, I grow to understand more and more about God and his word, I, 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 I get what he's saying more clearly, and then I, can, I look at my own life and I say, okay, I need to apply that to my life, then, then my way gets narrower. For example, it wasn't too long ago, at the end of chapter six, Jesus said, do not worry. Anybody want me to preach that message again? You can go back and listen to it. You don't need me to preach it again. Do not worry. When? Ever. That's not easy. But what he's saying to me here is there's no place for worry in the life of a Christ follower. There's no place for that. It's inappropriate for me to worry as a Christ follower. And so what that means, okay, my, my way just got narrower. Okay, I, okay, you know, as a, you know, if I'm walking the easy way, I can worry all I want. Matter of fact, I, I might even get a master's degree in worrying. I'm gonna do it so well. But not as a Christ follower. Now I find myself, when I lean over into worry, I'm thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If I trusted Jesus, I wouldn't worry about that. If I was being obedient to Jesus, I wouldn't worry about that. My way gets narrower. I, I, don't, I, don't now, I no longer have the freedom to worry. Now this is true of all of these principles. We pick one. Whatever one that we come across, the, the reality is every time we learn about it and we grow to understand it, we start applying it to our lives, it makes the path we walk narrower. Each truth we learn and accept narrows our path. That makes it more difficult because the world's got a different plan for you. It's got a different way of doing it. And its way is easier. That's hard. That's hard. It's difficult because no matter what I tell myself, there's a part of me that wants to worry, right? I can say, I can say all day long, oh, no. Oh, no. Rick doesn't worry about anything. But there's something inside of me that wants to. And I have to resist that. I have to fight against it. If I was walking the way of the world, I wouldn't have to do that. I could literally just happen. Ooh, no. Sky is falling again. Part of what makes it so difficult is that narrow way, that narrow pathway that God wants us to walk runs right down the middle of the broad way, the easy way. 
as we're walking the hard path on both sides of us are people that are walking the easy way. Unfortunately, they're walking in the wrong direction. We're going in the right direction. They're going in the wrong direction. We're walking against the flow of the rest of the world. And there's something inside of us that wants to climb that fence. Maybe just for a little while. Maybe I can just go over there for a little while, see what it feels like. And we even know, as believers, we know what the, what the result of that path is. If I get over on that side, there is only, yeah, it may get easy for a while, but there's only destruction at the end of that path. That's all it is. There is no good at the end of it. But the end of the narrow road is glory forevermore, is goodness, is God at the end. Jesus then tells us, not only is the narrow path harder, this is a very encouraging message, I know, I can tell, I can look at you and see you're all really encouraged <laughs> by this. There is, it is a good thing, actually. Not only, not only is the path harder, but there are people who are trying to, trying to lead us away from the path. Yay! Ver, uh, principle number 17, watch out for false prophets. Verse 15, therefore, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Oh. This one grieves my spirit so bad. A false prophet is someone who comes, claims they are speaking on behalf of God. They are coming whatever way they are, they are, you are being exposed to them. They are coming with a message from God, speaking on behalf of God. They, 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 they want you to hear something, but here's the problem. They aren't from God. And, and what Jesus says here, they're coming in sheep's clothing, which means they look just like a sheep. They look like a believer. They act like a believer. They even have believer cologne that they wear. You know, everything about them is like a believer. You could not tell by looking at them that they aren't anything other than what they say. But what they're doing is they have a sheep's clothing on, but underneath is a ravenous wolf. Imagine that. You know what a ravenous wolf is? A ravenous wolf is a wolf that if it gets anywhere near a prey, it is going to tear it apart and consume it. Who is the wolf's prey? Sheep. Sheep. In this context, it's sheep. Who are the sheep in this context? Us. A sheep wants to consume us. Well, I can tell you, um, I, have, I have met a number of wolves in my life. They often come, and, and you know, it, the, I, I've shared some of the things that I get from outside. You know, people come, and they, and they sound so sincere. And they, and they, and they, you know, they, I, I just want to help. You know, you know, your doctrine is off. So let me correct your doctrine. And they come and they lay out, you know, this false doctrine. And I see it the moment I, I, I mean, over time, you recognize the signs. And when they, when they come, you know, this is the apostle so-and-so that has, you know, a word from you for the Lord. And it's obviously a Xerox copy of something else. And you're like, okay, this is dumb. And did I say dumb? Can I actually say that like that? Okay, anyways, I said it. Um, and and, and they want to correct my doctrine about something. And I, now, I'm, now, Randy will tell you, I care deeply about right doctrine. And I have been corrected over the years. But a lot of times, that's not what those people are in for. That's what they're looking for. And they're, and they're trying to influence us away from a pure and right path. Now, I don't, I don't believe in a second that I, abs I know absolutely everything about everything especially when it comes to God and his stuff. I'm growing, I'm maturing, and I've got a circle of men around me and, and, and women around me that minister to my heart and to our doctrine and my soul and so that, you know, so that we try to stay on that narrow path. As a church, we stay on the narrow path, and Rick tries to stay on it especially hard because God called me to lead the church. But they come in 
And I, and I can't always tell what their motives are when they do it. But if you ever have somebody come to you and say, hey, I've got a message for you from the Lord, and if you give me 100 bucks, I'll tell it to you. you can, I can tell you what they are right now. That's a false prophet. But these, these false prophets, they look like believers. They talk like believers. They even, for the most part, act like believers. And we have to be so careful, so careful. And they're not new. Literally, they've been around since, since well, before the church. They were around in the Old Testament. You know, all, through, all sorts of examples of false prophets in the Old Testament where, they, where you, know, the, you know, the true prophets are, you know, resisting the false prophets. And interestingly, the false prophets often outnumber the true prophets. Jesus said something about the end times when, when it comes close to his return. He says this, Matthew 24, 11 and 12. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness as, is the idea of lawlessness is living as if there is no law. Uh, wait a minute. That sounds an awful lot like the world we're living in right now, where we look around and people are doing whatever, whatever they feel like. If they don't like something, they'll just burn a city down. Like, no big deal. We're living in a time where we, should see, we, we are seeing this rise of false prophets, these rise of false teachers. And, and they don't come, they don't show up and, you know, and, and, and you know, make themselves known very easily. Very often they'll creep into churches or they'll start churches. There are many, many churches that, are, that exist today who are led by people who don't even know God. And they're leading ten, hundreds of thousands of people down a wrong path, down the, down the broad way, believing that they, that they are on the way, on the narrow way. And in fact, they're not even close. It should grieve our hearts. It should challenge us. You know what? You better know. You better know. If you're following somebody, you better know what he believes. You better, you better test him. I, I have, I, I've said this before. I don't care. If you want to test me, test me. You, you want to challenge me? You want to challenge something I say? Challenge me. I'm not afraid. Here's the reality, though. Only those who are tempted by the broad way are going to fall for it. If somebody is, is vulnerable because that, that what they see over there on the easy way, ooh, that's attractive. I want some of that. A false prophet can play right into that. A ravenous wolf. You know, that, a wolf was one of the, one of the great threats of a of a shepherd's, as he cared for his flock, had to always be on guard against them. And they tend to go after the young, the vulnerable, or the weak. A wolf doesn't care about who they hurt. They don't, they don't care what their ministry costs anyone else as long as they benefit, as long as they get what they want out of it. And they could want lots of things. They could want money, that we see that commonly. They could want fame. They could want just any number of things. They could want, well, yeah, all sorts of things. I'm not going to get into the serious carnal desires that many of these guys have. They don't have to all be guys. They can be women as well. And, and here's the thing. They're so deceptive. They, they come in and they act like, I just want people to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled I want you to live your best life now. Most of you didn't catch that one. That's okay. A true prophet doesn't, doesn't concern themselves with happiness. I'm not concerned about that. I am not concerned that you are happy. What I am concerned about is that you are holy. Holiness is what leads to happiness. Happiness almost never leads to holiness. 
But if we are striving for holiness, then happiness is a fruit of holiness. And so as a pastor, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm con- as a husband, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that my wife is holy. You know, if, if, if happiness it, you know, is born out from that, then praise God. My, with my children, with my grandchildren, I'm more concerned about holiness than I'm about happiness. I do, I do care about them being happy as well, but not at the expense of holiness. If I have to choose between holiness and happiness, I'm gonna choose holiness. False prophets and pastors and teachers, they, and they look like believers. And so they're a little hard to spot. Jesus tells us how to detect them. In verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. That whole cut down and thrown in the fire is a... Is a expression that refers to the ultimate judgment and I would not want to be one of them a false prophet standing before Jesus and giving account for misleading God's people misleading the sheep and causing them to stumble that would be a that would be a bad thing you know hell is going to be a bad thing it's going to be a lot worse for false prophets we can he says you will know you can detect them. You can look at them. I mean, we, I mean, we do this all the time. We see people, and I, I, I've done it. I've listened to people and said, there's something wrong there. Something is, not, something is not right about that. I may not be able to chapter and verse it, but I can, I can hear it. I can, I can discern something. You know, that, that something's not right about that. A test of a false prophet is the fruit of their life and ministry. I, we've heard all the anecdotes of, you know, pastors telling their churches they need a $62 million jet, you know, otherwise they can't do ministry. I'm glad to have a 2016 tracks out there. You know, it's got four wheels and gas in it. I'm good. But I'd love to have something else. Sure. That's on the easy path. Listen. A, a, a true prophet seeks only three things. God's glory, the blessing of others, and the growing of faith. That's all they care about. I want God to be glorified. I want others to be blessed. And I want faith to grow. Where am I in that? I bear the fruit that God gives me because he chooses to bless me. God will never leave his, his servants, his people unblessed if they will just serve him and abandon themselves. I don't care. I don't worry about God blessing me. You know why? Because he's a good God and he loves to bless his kids. All he wants us to do, just obey me, just serve me, just love me, just tell people about me and then he will take care of the rest. We're living in a time when false prophets are abounding and literally they are all around us. And there's a reason for that. In 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, it says this, preach the word. This is, this is the apostle Paul speaking to Timothy and, and Paul is pretty close to the end of his life and he knows that and he knows that before too long he's gonna be executed and, and he's giving his last bit of instruction to Timothy, who was, his, who was his disciple, his protege. He trained him up, and he was basically handing the reins off to Timothy here, especially as he was pastoring this church in Ephesus. And he says to them, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, meaning always be ready to t- tell people about Jesus. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Patient, teaching. Long-suffering could also be translated as patience. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, right teaching. They will not endure right teaching. Who are the they? The people sitting out in the congregation. There will be a time where people will not want to hear the truth. They want to hear what makes them feel good. 
I want to feel good about myself. I want to be uplifted. Pastor, make me feel good about myself. Right where I am, right now. Eh, there's a problem with that. Where you are right now may not be right. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, meaning they're, they're, they're drawn to things that, that appeal to their carnal desires, they will heap up for themselves teachers. I mean, they'll, get, they'll, they'll collect these teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What is a fable? It's a story. You know, a story doesn't have to be true. It's just a story. You know, I give you, I give you this little story to tell you something that makes you feel good about yourself. Have ever told you about the guy that went down to the blah, 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 blah? And they go this little story, and you feel, oh, wow, that was really a good story, Pastor. But what does it tell us about our relationship with God, about walking that narrow path, about serving him, about loving him, about obeying him? Where was the truth in it? We're living in a time where people don't want to go the narrow way. They don't want it. They don't want it to be hard. I mean, gosh, I mean, many of us are old enough to remember times when things were a lot harder. I can, you know, the, the idea of having a, a cell phone still amazes me. Now, I, I grew up, I, I was a traveling salesman before I was a pastor. I didn't have a cell phone. If I need to make a phone call, I need to look for a phone booth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine looking for a phone booth today? Do they, are, do they even exist anywhere anymore? I, I mean, it was like, you know, I, anyways. It gets, it, life gets easier every year. This is easier, that's easier. But not easier to do what's right. R. Kent Hughes suggested four tests to discern a false prophet, pastor, or preacher. One, a false prophet avoids preaching on such things as holiness, righteousness, justice, and the wrath of God. You know, one of the signs of a false, false teacher is, is, they, is they will focus on issues, things like social issues. That's been a big one lately. You know, social issues are the main thing. They'll talk about injustices and, and racial injustices and gender injustices and all of the other isms that are out there. That's their focus. That's their main thing. We, we've we've got we've to deal with the issues. Number two, he avoids preaching on the doctrine of the final judgment they won't talk about hell. They won't talk about the fact that every single human is going to stand before God someday and give an accounting for their lives. That you're either going to be, you're either going to be judged for your sins or you're going to be judged for your works. If you, if, you, if you did not receive Christ, then you have to be judged for your sins. That's the only option. You have to pay for your own sins. The option is to let Jesus pay for your sins and then you judge for your works which is much better. In case you're wondering, you have issues about that, come see me. Being judged for your sins is a bad thing. Number three, false prophets fail to emphasize the fallenness and depravity of mankind. A false prophet will try to make you believe you're okay, just the way you are. You're okay. The problem is not you. The problem is your culture. The problem is your upbringing. The problem is your, you know, your spouse. No, that's never, that, they wouldn't say that. But, you know, they'll, they'll, find, they'll find some reason to justify why it's okay for you to be the way that you are. And what God says, the problem with the way that you are is because there's something inside of you that wants to do the wrong things. It's called a fallen nature. That is in us. We have in our nature the desire, the, the inclination to do what is wrong, do what is opposed to God's will. It's just in us. And, and the only way to fix that is to come to Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to start doing that, that redeeming work inside of us that brings us into a right relationship with God and, call, and allows us to walk the right path. 
But a false teacher is not going to tell you that. Number four, false prophets or pastors and teachers de-emphasize the substitutionary death and atonement of Christ. The only way to be forgiven of your sins is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the only way. But many of these false teachers will give you the sense that you can do enough good to be okay with God. And let me hear, let me tell you flat out, no, you can't. You will never, ever, ever do enough good to pay for your sins. You know why? Because even your good is not good. God says without Christ, you can do no good thing. The world might describe it as good. The world might say, oh, that was so good. Good job, Chuck. You're so good. But God says without Christ, none of it's good. Now, false prophets, these false teachers, they often have very large, successful churches. It's amazing to me. It absolutely blows me away. It just reminds me of that Second Timothy verse we read. You know, they just, people just flock to them because that's what they want to hear. That's what they want to feel. But sadly, many of those churches are filled with people who, who know something about God, something maybe about God's word, but they're not in a relationship with God. They have no relationship with Christ. And that means that they are, they are walking down a path where they believe they are headed to heaven, when in fact, they're headed to destruction. And that pastor, that false teacher, has led them to believe that they are on the right path. They, have, they give this false hope that God is waiting for them at the end of this pathway, and he's not. Listen, there's only one way to get to God, and that is by repenting of your sins and receiving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins. That's the only way. And if a pastor and teacher is not teaching that, is not saying that, then he is a false teacher and he is leading his people down a path that leads only to destruction. Now, I'd like to believe yeah, I, I try to be as gracious as possible and say that, that pastor, maybe he's deceived by himself and he just doesn't know better. Sadly, I'm not convinced that's true with most of them. The fate of this false prophet is pretty terrible. And then, and then Jesus speaks to all believers in the last principle of today, principle number 18, all roads do not lead to heaven. In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Interest to heaven is not based on what we say. It's really not even based on what we do. It's based on what we believe. It's based on where you put your trust. This is a warning about being a false believer, about, about believing you're a believer when you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never put your trust in him. If you don't put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are not a believer. If you've not received his sacrifice, you've not repented of your sins, you are not a believer. It's as simple as that. False prophets are leading probably millions of people away from God giving them the idea that they are on a pathway that leads to God. But ultimately, it is every person's personal responsibility to know, believe, and live out a true faith in God through Jesus Christ. 
No believer will be able to stand before, or no person will be able to stand before God and then say, God, I, I didn't believe because it was so-and-so's fault. Ultimately, they're not going to be able to do that because God has made this book pretty available, right? I mean, if you have a mobile device, you probably have a thousand of these different th themes and variations of the Bible. We can know the truth. His spirit is moving in and around us. Even in those false churches, he's there ministering to the people's hearts, convicting them toward righteousness and goodness and holiness and the truth. He's there always leading and guiding us to those things. These false believers know things about God and Jesus. And, and they might be orthodox in, in, the, in all of their beliefs. They may, they may have the same beliefs that we do. But if they don't, if if they don't have saving faith in Jesus Christ, they have not repented of their sins and, and trusted in him, then all they're doing is going through the motions. They're going through religious rituals and rites and practices. You must believe, you must believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You have to believe that, otherwise you are not a believer. You might be a religious person. You might be a Christian-esque religious person. But without true faith in Jesus Christ, you're not really a Christian. It's not enough to say you're a Christian. It's not enough just to act like a Christian. It's not enough to, to you know, attend a Christian church. It's not enough to give and serve. I mean, you can serve. I'm, come and serve. I'm going use all the help we can get. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Only one thing does. Faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are, it'll be evidenced in your life. Myron Augsburger says this. The disciple, the disciple of Jesus, is one who interfaces deed and word, who puts these two together. For deed demonstrates the word and the word interprets the deed. If you just have the deeds without the word, without the truth, then the deeds are meaningless. They may be good. They may, they may be nice. They may lead you to a, 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 a what appears to be a right life, but without the truth, they are meaningless. And, and, and Jesus has some <clears throat> really <clears throat> excuse me, hard words here. He says to these false believers, depart from me. Can you imagine that? The Savior of the world saying to you, depart from me. Get away from me. Go away from me. I never knew you. Now this is pointing to, again, eternal judgment. He's challenging them. Examine yourself. Know for certain that you are one of God's people, that you are one of Christ, you know, in his kingdom. Make sure. Because the consequence of not is devastating. First, you're going to live a life that leads to destruction, and you may taste that destruction in this life, or in the end, you're going to experience the eternal destruction that, that is too horrific to even describe. Listen, these principles challenge us to examine ourselves. We need to look into ourselves. Now, this is not something that, that the world necessarily is going to encourage you to do. The, encourage, the world's going to encourage you, just follow your, follow your heart. <laughs> that is terrible advice. Do not follow your heart, because I promise you, your heart will lead you right straight to hell. Don't follow your heart. You need to examine your heart because your heart is messed up. And, and it's not because you're a horrible person. You might be really nice. I know two or three nice people here. But, <laughs> but, but the reality is, is, that, is that, that because sin is in the world, it, it is in the world. I mean, gosh, if you don't know that sin's in the world, then, then never mind. You might be in a coma. But then you wouldn't be listening to me. Hmm. I just went way off on a, mentally way off on a tangent. We must examine ourselves. 
and, and ask ourselves, are these things real inside of me? As I go through these principles, not just these ones we looked at today, but all of the ones we've been looking at. I mean, we're up to 18 already. You know, looking at these principles and applying the Beatitudes, all of that, and getting all of that and, and starting to line that up, we, we've got to start examining ourselves and asking ourselves really hard questions and saying, am, am I real? Is, is what I'm doing here real? Now, if you answer that question, you, you say, no, I'm not really being real about it. Keep coming. You'll get there. We'll keep talking to you about it and help you get there. But the fact of the matter is we can't, it can't be just what we say I am. I can't just say I am a, a believer. I cannot just say I'm a follower of Christ. It must be real in me. And if it's real in me, then there's going to be certain attitudes that are, that are true in my, in my, my character, and there's going to be certain behaviors that are true in the way that I live my life. You're going to be able to look at me and say, yes, that looks like a Christian. Now, you can't look at me and tell me I am. I mean, you can, you can get some pretty good signs by looking at me and telling that I am, but ultimately, it's going to be word and deed and the Spirit of God working in all of us that will confirm that. I mean, you walk into a place, you can walk into a church, and if you're, if you're spiritually discerning, you can tell really quick when the Spirit of God is there and He's moving. Other times, you can say, okay, well, this is an exciting place to be, but I'm not sure the Spirit of God is here. He may not be in this. Be careful. We examine ourselves. Four things we looked at today, the golden rule. Are you treating people the way you want them to treat you? And more specifically, are you treating them the way Jesus would treat them? That's ultimately what God would call us to. The golden rule is, ought to be, if I'm going to treat somebody some way, I'm gonna, I want to try to treat them the way that Jesus would treat them. Because if I treat them the way that Jesus would treat them, then whatever I'm doing is right and good. Right? Because everything Jesus did would be right and good. Would you acknowledge that? Would you have somebody nod your head? Thank you. Thank you. Two back there. Good. <laughs> treat them the way Jesus would treat them. Now, that's not always easy. And sometimes people, they don't deserve that. Um, and they would justify a good kick in the pants, but the fact of the matter is Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would do it differently, and I should try to do the way Jesus would do it. Principle number 16, the right way is not the easy way. When we get to those times where doing what is right, doing what Jesus would do is hard, we need to remind ourselves that the way we are going is to glory, is to goodness, is to what God has for us. Number 17, watch out for false prophets. Don't blindly believe everything you read, especially on social media or here. Test them. And just because somebody says they are an expert, that they are, you know, speaking on behalf of God, especially, if you don't know for certain who they are and what they're believing and what they're saying and what they're doing, be very, very careful. I think a good dose of skepticism and that sort of stuff is really healthy and productive. Number 18, all roads do not lead to heaven. Of all of these, the most important one might be this one. You need to know. You need to know. Are you a believer or are you not? Because if you're not, the road you're on only leads to destruction. That's the only outcome Following Christ might be the narrow path. It might be difficult. It, it will be because it, it's so narrow. I, I don't have the freedom to do whatever I want, whatever my flesh wants. But the narrow path is the one that leads to God. The narrow path is the one that leads to good because God is good. And so I follow the narrow path, even though it's narrow, even though I sometimes have to squeeze my way through things that I'd much rather do that thing than this thing, because I know on the other side of that is God. 
And I want to be where God is because where God is, that is good. That's where the good comes from. That's where I experience the good. That's where I, I know the goodness of God. I know the blessings of God. I know the smile of God upon me. I know his love. I know his grace. I know his mercy. I know his hope. I know all of the things of God as I follow that path. And that's the one I want. And so, yeah, sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes it, it, it gets stinking hard to resist what my flesh wants to do and do what God wants me to do. But you know what? I'm going to try to do it anyways. Now, okay, I'm going to admit right here in front of the whole world, I don't always do that. You know, sometimes I make, I make mistakes. Sometimes I let my flesh decide what I'm going to do. My emotions get caught up in it. Yes, I do actually have emotions. And sometimes they get caught up in things. And... And, and, I, and I sometimes will make a choice that I, I probably shouldn't, or I have a thought that I probably shouldn't. And I recognize that. I'm, I'm learning to, okay, I need to deal with that. I can't let that continue like that. And I get back on the narrow path. And I do that through repentance. The narrow path is the only good path because it's the only path that leads to God. And so next time, next time you're tempted, keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on that narrow path because that's where good is. Next time we're gonna, we're gonna have Jesus is gonna tell us as we finish the, the, the Sermon on the Mount about what happens when you apply all these principles to your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, this place. And as we're here um, in this place and this time and, and it is uh, Independence Day weekend, um, Lord, I wanna just, just remind ourselves that that, that this country was built upon the idea of freedom to worship God as, 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 we, as we believe God would call us to do that. And so I thank you, God, that we do live in a country where uh, to some degree we're still, we, still, we still enjoy that freedom. Uh, we sense that those freedoms are being threatened and, and attacked and, and limited and restricted. All that is reality, all that's going on, but we still have, we're still here, God, and we're still worshiping you as we believe that we have that freedom to do, and so we do acknowledge that and thank you for that. I pray also, Lord God, that, that, that the greatest freedom that we enjoy is freedom from the bondage of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I, I just want to lift up everyone here, everyone watching online. If, if you have not experienced that freedom, if you've never repented of your sins and received Christ as your Savior, then you are still, you, you're not free. You're not free from the sin that, that binds you and, and, and enslaves you. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would minister to every heart, every soul here, that if they need to repent of their sins, that they should do it right this very moment. We ask, Lord, that they pray something simple in their hearts. Lord, I realize that I, I am not right. I, I am not on the narrow path. I'm on that broad path that leads to destruction. The only way to get on the narrow path is to repent of my sins. And I ask you, Lord, right now to forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of my sins, and help me to walk the way that is right and good that leads to you. And for all of us, Lord, that we would, we would examine ourselves as we've talked about here today and, and, and know that these principles are, are, we know that they're true, but they're not, we, they may not be true in us. And so I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves to see if, in fact, that we're allowing some of the ways of the world to influence the way we think and act. And if we find something that is like that, that we'd repent of it. And I'm so thankful, Lord God, that when we repent, you forgive us. You cleanse us of it. And then you tell us, okay, now walk the right way. You don't hold us against us. You don't punish us. You just deal with it, and we move on. And I praise you for that, God. I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we continue um, this day and, and, and move on, we pray for just that, that freedom, that we'd walk in the freedom that we have to love you, to worship you, to serve you, to obey you, to, to tell others about you, God. I thank you for all of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, and we thank you most especially for Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We love you, and we lift the rest of the day up to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith 
If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Thank you.